We've been doing the road to Emmaus, abiding in Emmaus, and the road from Emmaus. So kind of looking at what happens after Easter um, with the disciples. So we're going to continue this narrative today. Um, So we have Jesus' resurrection. And then what happens is on the Easter Sunday, and he appears to Mary Magdalene. And then he appears to a group of other women on that same day. Uh, And then what happens is in Luke's gospel, we cut scene to this journey to Emmaus and these two of Jesus's, I'll call them less distinguished disciples. We know one of their names, but we've never heard them before. We never hear of them after. But two less distinguished disciples are walking to a place called Emmaus. And I imagine they may be on their way home. They, you know, they may be despondent at the death of Jesus or, or simply they just had no place to stay in Jerusalem. Whereas, you know, the 12 got put up by someone. These guys didn't quite make the cut. So they were probably walking home, I reckon, because uh, Jerusalem's full at that time of year. So on the way, they are met by a stranger who draws alongside them and he begins to teach. He begins to show them how Jesus' death is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And as they arrive at Emmaus, which is where they were going, they beg him, they constrain him, come and eat with us. And, and no doubt um, are comforted by this person who was speaking to them on their journey. They invite him in. And as Jesus breaks the bread in the midst, they suddenly realize, oh, it's him. And then like that, he's gone. How gutted would you be? <laughs> you spend the whole time walking with him. And then he's suddenly you're like, oh, it's Jesus. And then he's gone. Um, so this is where we're going to join our story today. So I'll start uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 33. So it says that they rose the same hour, these two disciples. So they just sat down for dinner, saw Jesus, and they're like, right, we're going back to Jerusalem. So they rose the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So one thing I love about the resurrection, I'll just pause there, is that, is that Jesus seems entirely free to do whatever he wants for about 50 days. Uh, the, that period between the resurrection and then the ascension of Christ, we don't actually hear a lot about what Jesus does in that time. And I find it in that particularly funny that Jesus' first appearance wasn't to Peter or to James or John, you know, all the headlining disciples, but instead his first appearance is to Mary Magdalene in a group of wider women of which most aren't named. And then it does say he appeared to Peter, but it doesn't really tell us anything about that other than he appeared to Peter on that resurrection Sunday. And then after that, he goes straight to these two disciples who probably didn't feel very important and certainly were leaving Jerusalem. He appeared to them before he appeared to the rest of the 11 disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon James and John may have been a little bit miffed that they went higher up the visitor list than that. In fact, when I consider my own personal attempts to constrain God, to, to, to draw near to him, I can, I can often imagine about a million other people who I think are more deserving of his time than myself. Has anyone ever felt that? And I have no idea why he appeared to those two guys on the road to Emmaus before everyone else. But what I do know is God is not bound to the customs of man. He's not bound to the lists of man, to our ideas of hierarchy. All I know is that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. And I believe for some of us this morning, we need to stop putting ourselves down the holy pecking order and instead see Jesus standing before us. Instead of thinking he's coming for that person or that person or that person, think actually, no, he wants to come and meet with me too. 
God is omnipresent, which means there's more than enough of him to go around. Okay, friends? So we can all constrain him at the same time, all draw near at the same time. So let's jump back into our passage. Verse 36, it says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you! But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Um, do you think Jesus said surprise when he suddenly appeared in the room? <laughs> surprise! I, do you know, I'm, I genuinely believe he would have had a smile on his face uh, watching them jump out of their skins because they're... It reminds me of Nico. He's like a, a ninja at night. You basically, you put him in bed and then he silently creeps down the stairs. And you're sitting in the living room, you know, having a conversation or watching something on TV. And then you turn around and suddenly he's just there next to you. And he's managed to sneak all the way in and he's suddenly there. And he keeps a really straight face for like 10 seconds and then starts to smile. And uh, it's very cute, but you have to keep a straight face and send him back to bed. But um, that kind of that shock, <gasps> he's suddenly there. Um, so verse 38, so Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Maybe Jesus really liked fish. I think to prove my identity, I may have had to eat something else, like chocolate cake. So then verse 34, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Right, this is the crunch verse for us today, okay? And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. See, it would seem that Jesus used the time between Easter and Pentecost to continue to appear to the disciples, to love them and to encourage them. But most importantly, he used that time to commission them for the work of the church in spreading the gospel. And I can imagine they had many conversations in those days whereupon the disciples would have been itching to get started. You know when someone says, okay, can you do this? And you're like, okay, let me add it. Unless it's like DIY, in which case you're like, I'll do it next week. But you get the picture, it's like, okay, come on, we can do this. But Jesus constrains them to stay and says, actually, you've got to wait. You've got to wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Why? Let me ask a question. And this is a real question. Why must Jesus fulfill everything written about him in the law and the prophets and the Psalms? Why do you think he did that? Anyone want to guess? Shout something at me? To me? Yeah? Because so the word of God says so. And so if he does that, the Jews believe he's the Messiah, right? So by fulfilling the law and prophets, it evidences that he was the Messiah they were always looking for. And that's why it was so important for him to do that. So back to my original question, why did Jesus tell them they must wait to be clothed with power before going out to preach the gospel? Because the power of God is evidence of the gospel. Just as Jesus fulfilling the law and prophets is evidence he's the Messiah, the power of God is evidence of the gospel. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 really quickly. 
So this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom or wearing a funny shirt. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, the power of God is evidence of the gospel. You see, we as a church, we have a mission, right? Who's on a mission with us here? Let's get some hands in the air, yeah? We're on a mission together. Not to remain in the upper room or to stay staring into heaven at the ascension, but rather to take the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, take the good news of the present kingdom of God, and to share that to the world around us. Just like the lamp in this. Oh, we have a mission to shine. Shine. It's what? It's not plugged in. Let me see that. Let me get this. We have a mission to shine, friends. We have a mission to shine. But the thing is, the gospel, the shining that we're called to do, the gospel without power is purely theoretical. This light has the potential to light up the whole room, but if it has no power going into it, it's purely theoretical. But the gospel with power is the power of God unto salvation, right? It's the demonstration that this is really real, what we're talking about. See, theory makes a great debate, but it makes a terrible disciple. Theory, it makes a great debate, but it makes a terrible disciple. They want a demonstration of God's power. So, what is this promise of the Father? What is this power of God which comes and clothes the disciples? We'll just take that next slide up for me, David. So, um, in John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So this is the one that's been sent, the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, it says, When Pentecost arrived, they're together in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And I am sure that they were very afraid at that point. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the power of God. This is what it means to be clothed in power. I was talking on this verse last week with the youth, and I asked them what their favorite item of clothing is. And I was actually quite surprised, because immediately I got a few responses about, like, their most fashionable trainers. That was your son, by the way. Uh, you know, what, what the clothes they wear. And I was like, oh, why? And they're like, oh, because someone says, oh, yeah, and like, nice trainers or whatever. And then suddenly it, the conversation changed. They're like, oh, actually, my slippers my hoodie, you know, they were like, they switched from stuff that made them stand out to people to suddenly stuff that made them comfortable. What's your favorite item of clothing? Uh, I imagine mine would move towards the comfort side more. But um, I want to put it to you that when God clothes us with power, it performs some similar functions. So firstly, the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to experience God's love. 
Why don't you just hold your hands out with me and close your eyes. And say, Holy Spirit, I want to experience your love. You see, the power of God is so great. It's so mighty. And you can't even grasp it unless he empowers you to do so. We can't even get our heads around it unless he empowers us to do so. We can't receive it properly in our hearts unless he empowers us to do so. He comes and testifies to our hearts. Let me read Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. So the Spirit strengthens us with power, yeah? And in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. You see that strength that we get from the Spirit? We need to have strength to comprehend. We need to have strength to understand with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, Paul writes that we're strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit, to experience the love of God at a level deeper than rational knowledge. And in doing so, we're filled with the fullness of God. It's only by his power that that happens. See, God's love is so great that we're unable to experience it fully unless we are filled with his power. It's necessary. It's not an added extra for those who want to do Pentecost. It's necessary. And this is my testimony. I, when I was about 19... Um, I experienced the love of God in a way that changed my life. And uh, since I was a child, I grew up in church, so I always knew God loved me. Yeah, God loves you too. Like that type of thing, yeah? But it never really sunk in. It was just up in my head. And then I, I went away and I spent time with people who didn't really know me, had absolutely no reason to be kind to me or loving towards me. And yet they loved me in a way that just did something in my heart and the work of the Holy Spirit caused me to suddenly receive and experience God's love. And it changed my life completely. It wasn't some big wild thing out there. It was a thing inside that I was like, oh, wow, he really loves me. And it changed my life completely. And I've never felt more known, more comforted, more safe and secure than since that happened. And that is my very reason for exposing you to my comfortable slippers today in case you can't see there you go (laughs) you see he clothes us with power that we would experience his love but it doesn't stop there as you can tell by this thanks Alex this isn't one of mine just in case you're wondering although Jen (laughs) there you go Alex (laughs) secondly the power of the Holy Spirit works the miraculous among us he works the miraculous among us so in Galatians 3 Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. And they had received salvation by believing in Jesus, which many of us in here have. And they were renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. But since that point, they somehow got bogged down in trying to live a life of faith and witness through their own strength and through their own logic and through their own understanding and through their own righteousness. Has anyone ever tried that? Yeah? 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 We're like, okay, thanks God, you did that. I'll take it from here. We're trying to like work it out as if we have the power to do that. The idea that we are somehow saved, and this is really important, the idea that we're somehow saved through a supernatural encounter 
only then to live a life of like grinding sanctification and self-discipline is, is utterly preposterous. And it's completely soul-destroying. To be saved by a supernatural encounter, born into you life. If you're a Christian, you are a walking miracle because you have died and been raised in Christ. And it's utterly preposterous to, to have this incredible supernatural event and then expect the rest of our Christian life to be kind of this, this, this works of self-discipline. Does that make sense? His power doesn't stop there. It follows us through. Paul writes to the Galatians on this subject. He says this. He says, let me ask you only this. He's, he's a little bit miffed with them, I'm reckoning. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, i.e. what you can do, or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He says God provides the Spirit. He works miracles among you and he doesn't do it because of your works. He does it because of your faith. It is the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit that, that comes and works miracles for us and through us. If we look at the story of Pentecost, it's the power of God rested on those disciples at Pentecost, which causes people to stop and stare. Much like if I walked in the room with this and my wife saw me, she'd be like, what? <laughs> I'm not going to ask what the next reaction would be, but... <laughs> You see, the power of God opens the people's ears and hearts to hear the gospel and believe in Jesus. And our youth got it right. You know, this, this clothing of power wasn't just for love and comfort. But through the miraculous and through the gifts of the Spirit, through signs and wonders, God arrests the attention of people and he subverts their logical resistance to him. You know, it's, it's, it's nigh on impossible to walk in the power of God and not stand out from the crowd. And not look a bit different. Friends, if you're here to look normal, I'm really sorry, this, that doesn't work. The power of God causes you to stand out. It causes you to look different. You were made to shine for him, friends. You really were. And it all looked different between me, you, everyone, because we are different people. But we were all made to shine. As the power of God rests on us. We have a commission. We just, as a church, we just uh, kind of updated, renewed our mission statement about who we are and what God has called us to do in the season to come. We have a God-given mandate to share the gospel and reveal the kingdom of God. But just like the disciples 2,000 years ago, we have a choice. Either we go out in our own strength no doubt with, with good intentions, but inevitably sharing our experience of God at a natural level in some sort of information exchange. And from that place, we pray to high heaven that sometime, they, somehow they have an encounter with God much deeper than the words that we're able to share. Or we have a second choice. I know that was a long first choice. But the second choice is we seek to be clothed with power. We seek to be filled with the Spirit so that people see a light in us that's so much greater than our glory. So that people see a power working through us which is beyond a logical description or explanation. 
You see, I want to see people experience the power and the love of God in a way that reduces them to tears before they've even had a chance to contemplate the words I say. Does that make sense? That they just recognize some kind of power of God. And I've seen people walk into this church and then recognize something in this room that they don't have words for, but it reduces them to tears. I want to see people so in awe at the power of God working through us, working in this church, working in our homes, working in the coffee room at work, that they have no choice but to believe in the good news of Jesus. They can't explain it away because it's too real. I'm going to invite the band up for me. Friends, he isn't sending us out into all the earth to make disciples on our own. His promise is that he's with us to the end of the age. And I know sometimes we talk about mission and commission and it feels like this thing that we've got to go and do on our own and it feels a bit scary. Has anyone ever felt that? A little bit? A little bit? Oh, what an unruly child. I'm joking, it's my daughter, by the way, and I love her immensely. (laughs) She's certainly not. (laughs) But (laughs) he doesn't send us alone. He doesn't want to. If we go out on our own strength, then we go out on our own strength. But if we wait to be clothed with power, he fills us. So why don't we stand together, friends? This is my big question to you this morning. Will you be plugged in, just like that light needed to be? Will you be clothed with power for the sake of his mission, for the sake of revealing his kingdom, for the sake of sharing his gospel? And it's a question for each of you to answer on your own. Why don't we pray together? we thank you for the mission you have placed on your church universally but on specifically on this church what it looks like for us in our context and our community God we thank you for what you've called us to and Lord we don't take it lightly Lord when we look at it we ask questions like how is that how does that work and how do we do that but Lord, I thank you that you're not relying on our strength or our plans or our purposes or, or anything on its own. Lord, you're not relying on us to have the best strategy, their best words, their best gospel presentation. Instead, you say, come be filled with power. Let my power rest on you and let my power work through you. And so God, we stand before you today, not wanting to go out in our own strength but instead we ask come and fill us afresh and if that's your prayer just open up your heart to him open up your hands to him and say God come fill me afresh let your power rest on me Holy Spirit come rest on us this morning speak to people who who feel like those two disciples who kind of we don't we know one of their names but we don't know much about them 
and feel like you, you're kind of, you're in a position where you're like, oh, but God wouldn't choose me. God wouldn't use me. He wants to use that person or that person. Or God's got more time for them. Or God wants to work a miracle through them. And I want to say to you this morning that God is pointing you out. He wants to come and meet you on your journey, on your road to Emmaus. And he wants to reveal himself to you afresh. That you would be his witnesses. And if that's you, I just say, even in your hearts this morning, I want to encourage you to, to just, just say, God, just say, God, I'm sorry where I've put myself down. God, come and meet with me. And I want to pray for the people here who, who you kind of, you know God loves you in your head, but you have not experienced this in your heart. Or, or that experience is old now. It feels a long time ago and you feel dry and I pray right now. Holy Spirit, in your power, do you rest on us? Joe, I, I just feel if you I want to encourage you to be brave there. If you feel like you need to experience God's love afresh today, I just want you to put your hands in the air. I say, Holy Spirit, would you come in power and touch the hearts of these people? Would you come pour your love into them afresh? Would you come and do it at a level much deeper than their minds can understand? But I pray that their hearts will be filled with your power. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring the love of the Father. And finally, I, I want to pray for people who, who are just who are ready to say, God, use me. Come and work your miracles in my life. Come and work your power in my life. Not just for my benefit, for the benefit of people around me. People who aren't afraid to stand out. People who are fed up of trying to be normal and fit in. And if that's you, I really want to encourage you to, to, to move from where you are. If you want to come to the front, if you want to just move into the aisle, I, I'm not going to lay hands on you, but I just want you to do something different because I feel like the God is saying to you, but will you stand up and will you stand out? So I want to encourage you even now to just move. Take a step, move somewhere, do something different from where you are. And we're going to pray right now. We can say this together. Just say, God, use me. God, set me on fire for you. God, rest on me. God, come fill me afresh so your power works through me. We say, Holy Spirit, we are hungry for you. Hungry for your power to be displayed in all the earth. That, that many will come to know you. That, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that we would enthrone you afresh. Lord, would you do it again in this place? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.